the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And because I am a glutton for punishment. In addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of taxation laws and a master of intellectual property laws. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth, including knowledge, within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice some related fields. Those are debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business areas of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people in communities of color, including indigenous communities. And as I've shared with you before, because I grew up as a military brat, my dad was all army, all hardcore, and airborne. And because I also helped create a new generation of military brats, that is with my former military spouse, I know firsthand how hard it can be economically for citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen, men and women, and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals separate from their branches of service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And because of my ingrown respect, for our elders because both my grandmothers who survived four great economic challenges in the 20th century, that is to say the Great Depression, World War II, and the ongoing systemic and uh, racism and misogyny that continues on into the today, these great women help raise me. And out of my respect and love for them, when the situation is right, 
I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of sailors and and seniors, especially seniors who are sailors, <laughs> to find who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that's running rampant in our society today. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provides you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and liabilities. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your families or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. And inasmuch as I am both a practicing attorney and a flawed and imperfect person of faith, I have and will continue to use this platform to bring important news and information and analysis about the intersection of law and faith that I believe might be helpful to you, the members of our various and diverse religious communities throughout the Bay Area, our greater Uh, but greatly flawed national and global communities and this beautiful planet, the center of the use, placed here for our use and stewardship. And just in case it's not clear, I include uh, as my intended audience also individuals who have no faith at all, individuals who my God commands me and our laws demand that I respect as my equals and not attempt to force my belief upon them. So in this last capacity, as an imperfect person of faith and a legal practitioner, researcher, and sometimes scholar, that I feel the need to discuss what's going on not only in the towns and villages and cities large and small across America, but also around the world. I am, of course, talking about what is going on in Ukraine and the discussions of genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and crimes of aggression that have been sparked by the very public evidence of killings, rapes, kidnappings, and forced transfers and confinement in Russia of thousands of free Ukrainian people, the credible reporting of which by the various members of the free Western media has been playing out on our television screens for 53 days as of Easter Sunday, April 17, 2022. A shared experience that appears to be so powerful that people of all races, ages, and economic strata feel compelled to participate in calling out Russia and its leader who shall not be named. We who care about freedom are raising hell about what's going on in person by traveling 
on our own dimes to Ukraine to hand out food and medicine and, yes, guns, while other of us are staying in our homelands and demonstrating our support for the people of Ukraine by making donations directly to nonprofit organizations or indirectly through our governments by our peaceful demonstrations in support of Ukraine in crowds with and without masks and even in the face of the scourge and potential death of COVID-19. So this mass movement of local and global empathy is of real moment. That is truly wonderful to witness, and I hope to see the same kind of movement on the global scene when the next autocrat, and there will be the next one, once again focuses his, and they mostly are men, on what um, he believes are defenseless people when these targets are of a darker hue and of a different religion than our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ or who have no religion at all or conduct their personal lives in a manner that we don't agree with. So today's topic is why I believe people of faith must use the good news of this, the holiest weekend on the Christian calendar, to reflect upon and then put our collective feet down and demand that our governments do what we know they are capable of to stop the genocide and war crimes and crimes against humanity and crimes of aggression that we see on a daily basis. Now, my source material for today are my own experiences as a black woman in this country and this world for more than 65 years and my faith. So I'm going to share these with you now. As many of you out there in radio land who know me from this and other media that I have produced over the years, you know that I am not very religious. That is to say, I'm not dogmatic in any ritual of any kind, including the ones related to the religion that's my own and that I actually love. However, I am very spiritual, and most of that comes from the fact that I was raised in the Anglican Communion. Now, for those of you who are in unfamiliar with this sect, the churches of the Anglican Communion consider them to be themselves to be one holy Catholic and apostolic church and be both Catholic and Reformed, that is to say, Protestant at the same time. Uh, I was going to make a joke about having multiple personality disorder, but maybe not. Now, for some adherents, Anglicanism represents a non-papal form of Catholicism, for others a form of Protestantism. These, however, without any local, national, or global dominant figure, such as a Luther or a Calvin. For others, our, their self-identity represents a combination of the two. The communion encompasses a wide spectrum of belief, including those who are evangelical, liberal, and Catholic. The Anglican communion is also known as the Episcopal Church in America, and those who adhere to its tenets are known as Episcopalians. I was baptized into the Episcopal Church as an infant, and um, I have continued to follow in those, those tenets during my childhood up until I became a young lady and I was confirmed as a Christian in my own right in a beautiful high mass on Easter Sunday at age 12 the anniversary of which occurs the day after this broadcast 
an event more than 50 years ago when I became responsible for my own soul. I think that being responsible for my own soul makes me the kind of person who agrees with our current Episcopal Church Bishop, presiding Bishop Michael Curry, when he says, being a Christian is not especially about joining a church or being a nice person, but about following in the footsteps of Jesus, taking his teachings seriously, letting his spirit lead us in our lives and doing so, and in doing so, help change the world from a nightmare to God's dream. So you can read more about Bishop Curry, the first African-American bishop of the church, uh, at www.episcopalchurch.org. So I say we now have a requirement because we are at that crossroad between a nightmare and God's greater glory. So when we come back, I'll share with you my thoughts about what we can do first to inform ourselves about the truth, about the legal issue, about our global society, and what we need to do to insist that our leaders act properly, lest they lead us down the road to perdition. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue today's discussion where I share with you all my thoughts about what we can do first to inform ourselves about the truth about some of the key legal issues confronting our global society and how we can in turn use that knowledge to assist our political leaders knowingly and constructively do what we need to do because we're bearing witness to the maltreatment of an entire country and all of its citizens. And I say, if we don't do this, if we let our leaders continue their nonfeasance with our acquiescence, they're going to lead us all down the road to perdition. And I don't want to go there. I don't know about you. Now, I know we all are constantly being bombarded with words that we don't quite understand the true meanings of. Words that are rolling off the tongues of members of the media and some politicians describing the heinous acts credibly witnessed by persons on the scene of those acts, along with photographic evidence, including satellite images. These acts have been revealed to us to have been perpetrated by the Russian army against the people of Ukraine. And as a result, some of you have reached out to me for help to help you understand the meaning of these words and in layperson's terms. You know, I'm happy to try and explain, but I got to tell you, I'm truly sorry to have to. Now, according to the information I found on the International Criminal Court, website, which is located at www.icc-cpi.int. The International Criminal Court is physically located in The Hague in the Netherlands and states that its primary purpose is to investigate and, where warranted, try individuals charged with the gravest crimes of concern to the international community, and those are genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and crimes of aggression. 
Furthermore, the website states that the court is participating in the global fight to end impunity. Impunity means obtaining the freedom from the unpleasant consequences of one's own bad behavior. And through the international criminal justice system, the ICC aims to hold those responsible accountable for their crimes and to help prevent these crimes from occurring again. The court also has a funding source for reparations for those who have been victimized by these high-level crimes. The court states that it cannot reach these goals alone as it is a court of last resort. It seeks to complement, not replace, national courts governed by the international treaty that was known as the Rome Statute, which was adopted in Rome on July 17, 1998, and came into full force and effect on July 1, 2002, making the ICC the world's first permanent international criminal court. Now, according to the International Criminal Court Project that is part of the Atrocities Crime Initiative and is jointly supported by the American Bar Association's Criminal Justice Section and the Center for Human Rights, which implements the ABA, the American Bar Association's policies on international criminal justice, and is located at abi-icc.org. As of the year 2022, 123 states are parties to the statute. Another 32 governments have signed the Rome Statute but have not as yet ratified it. And according to the online publication, The Nomad Capitalist, as of March 11, 2022, there are a handful of large companies that are not part of the International Criminal Court because they've either not signed the Rome Statute or have withdrawn from it. The notable non-members for our discussion today are Ukraine as well as the United States and Russia, both of which are permanent members of the powerful United Nations Security Council, which will come into discussion a little bit later. So what are the crimes that the ICC prosecutes and how does it obtain jurisdiction over the offending parties who, until they're actually found guilty, are known as suspects? Well, the the ICC has jurisdiction over four main crimes. The first is genocide, characterized by the specific intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group by killing its members or by other means, such as causing serious bodily or mental harm to the members of that group, deliberately inflicting on that group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, or imposing measures intended to prevent births within that group, or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group back in Russia. That's my, I'm adding that back in Russia. The second crime that the ICC can prosecute are crimes against humanity, which are serious violations committed on part of a large-scale attack against any civil, civilian population. Civilian population. The 15 forms of crime against humanity listed in the Rome Statute include such things as murder, rape, imprisonment, forced disappearances, enslavement, uh, particularly of women and children, sexual slavery, torture, apartheid, and deportation of of Thousands of children 
away from their parents, back to Russia, as they call it. Third are war crimes, which are grave breaches of the Geneva Convention uh, in the context of armed conflict, which is legal and include armed conflict itself is legal, but doing things that are breaches of the Geneva Convention are war crimes. For instance, the use of child soldiers, the killing or torturing of persons such as civilians or prisoners of war, intentionally directing attacks against maternity hospitals, historic Monuments or buildings did to religion, education, arts, science, and charitable purposes. Here, the Russians bombed a maternity hospital, resulting in the very public death of a mother and her newborn baby. Fourth and finally, the crime within the ICC's jurisdiction is the crime of aggression. It is the use of armed force by a state against the sovereignty, integrity, or independence of another state. Like Ukraine, for instance, the definition of this crime was developed through amending the Rome Statute at its first convention, and that took effect on July 17, 2018. Now, as for jurisdiction, there's a couple ways that the court can get jurisdiction over the party, a party. First is where the crimes were committed by a party nation or in the territory of a party or the state a state has accepted the jurisdiction of the court. The second way are uh, crimes that are referred to the International Criminal Court Prosecutor by the United Nations Security Council, pursuant to a resolution. Now, as of 2018, the situation in which an act of aggression would appear to have occurred could be referred to the courts by the Security Council. Uh, irrespective to whether or not it was a party state or a non-party state. So in the absence of a UN Security Council referral of an act of aggression, the prosecutor can initiate an investigation of her own accord. However, uh, she can only do the investigation, but she cannot exercise any jurisdiction over the party that uh, committed the act unless that party agrees to it. So what does this mean in plain English regarding the alleged crimes against people and the sovereignty of Ukraine? As I stated above, neither Ukraine nor Russia are members of the ICC. Russia has been a member, but it withdrew from that body in 2016, so it could not be held accountable after it annexed part of the Ukraine known as Crimea. That means that the ICC can't obtain member state party jurisdiction over Russia, even if Ukraine made a complaint against Russia. And because Russia is a member of the United Nations Security Council with veto power, it can't be hauled into court that way. However, inasmuch as Ukraine has requested historically that the um, um, uh, that the ICC conduct investigations in its state, it can continue to do so. So the investigation can be started for the three crimes other than crimes of aggression. So does that mean that the ICC can investigate Russia's behavior if war and if warranted prosecute Russia for the crimes of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity because Ukraine has previously accepted jurisdiction of the court, even though it's not a party to the statute? But 
it cannot obtain jurisdiction over the Russian crimes of aggression? I think the answer to both those queries is yes. But, as with all litigation, the best answer is we must wait and see while we press our government to do all that they can to both assist Ukraine in defending its territorial sovereignty now and making sure Russia and its leaders ultimately face justice for their crimes. So we're going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including l- utilizing our collective world judicial system to limit the impunity of Russia and the other craving dictators and autocrats around this world. In the meantime, and as much as it looks like we're going to have COVID-19 visiting with us in some form or fashion for the foreseeable future, please get vaccinated and boosted. And even if you don't, if you have all your shots, especially if you don't, please take the necessary precautions and mask up. Keep your social distance and wash your hands. Till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.